Hey guys, I'm Ethan, co-host of the Shield Wall Podcast. First off, thank you guys so much for listening. I wanted to ask all of you who enjoy our content to subscribe and comment wherever you listen. Follow us on social media. We're on all major platforms. If you have any episode suggestions or questions, definitely shoot us an email at shieldwallministries at gmail.com. Welcome to the Shield Wall Podcast, where tempered men are formed. Welcome to The Wall. It is the Shield Wall Podcast. I'm Seth. I'm Ethan. We are flying without Cody. He is recuperating from a long week where he was holding down the fort like a man. Like a man. And uh, so he needed an evening to rest and relax with his family. So we graciously allowed him to rest and relax with his family. How you doing, Ethan? I'm doing great. And and we didn't really allow him. We really pretty much just told him, yeah, you need to take it out. Because <laughs> he was, uh, his, he had a, unfortunately, he had a death in the family. Uh, so his wife and his youngest daughter um, flew out to, to that, to, to take care of that, spend time with the family and all that. And then Cody was at home with his two still little ones there. I think they're three and four um, mm. for like five or six days or something crazy and just holding down the fort, <laughs> you know, like he, like the way he talks about his wife is just incredible. He, every, every time he does this, he's like, I don't know how my wife does it. She's amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah. So th- obviously, you know, family is more important than podcasts. So he will that's be. That's true. That's true back on uh, in the next episode so be looking forward to hearing from Cody again soon yep so Ethan yes. I am really excited about this particular topic you are like this topic <laughs> you have been just ecstatic over well you know? for, yeah for a number of reasons because when I first started off one like I'm a big fan of EM bounds and if you don't know who that is he's a, a man who has written many books on prayer. And when you read it, you're like, ah, yes, I will pray. So I came into this episode with that kind of mentality, like, yes, I'm going to go in and I shall take heaven by violent force. And uh, But then as I like sat and thought about it, I really uh, just didn't know where to go or when to start. And as I was doing a word study on prayer, um, a series of verses in 1 Kings chapter 8 um, started to stick out to me. And when I looked at the chapter overall, it really began to bring to life this foundational truth that I hadn't really given much thought to. You know, like there are things in, in the Christian faith that you kind of understand and uh, and it's there, but then like sometimes you just dive deeper into a subject and it comes to life. I mean, have you ever encountered anything like that, Ethan? Oh yeah. One of the one of the things I love about studying the word is that it just comes alive the deeper you go. Like you can read it and and get a good 15 minutes out of it, but like I've I've taken topics and just dove in and that just like once you start digging under the surface, just the world just kind of <laughs> like the whole word just opens up. Um, and it's awesome. So I, I know your enthusiasm and I see it and I love it. So it's like so, this thing is living and active. So. Sharper than any two-edged sword, absolutely. So what we're going to do, we're going to go to the Old Testament, and we're going to be revolving around a passage in 1 Kings, and this is 1 Kings chapter 8. And what is occurring in 1 Kings chapter 8 is the dedication of the temple. We're, I'm not going to read the whole thing. This thing's like 50 verses, but if you're listening, go back and read this because this is pivotal. It's foundational. Uh, if you don't mind, Ethan, I'm going to read 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 27 through 30. I encourage it. And here we go. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you have said, My name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place. And listen 
accept the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. And listen in heaven your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. Dude. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so much has already occurred prior to these these verses. So let me let me do you mind if I just kind of like give a little bit of a summary real quick? Please, yeah, go ahead. So what's happened is that Solomon has built this temple to the Lord. And this is the dedication of it. So what has happened prior to this is that he's ordered the the priests to bring in the Ark of the Covenant and they placed it behind the curtain in the Holy of Holies. And they placed it underneath the mercy seat. And the mercy seat, that's the thing that a lot of people recognize on the Ark of the Covenant. That's the the cherubim that rests on, on top. And when God gave Moses the instructions to build the mercy seat, he said that I will come and reside and meet with you in between the cherubim on the mercy seat. So when they place this in there and they move out of the Holy of Holies, it says that the Spirit of the Lord um, filled the temple the glory of the Lord filled it as if um, like smoke. Um, and when the, the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand a minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. The temple was the culmination of one of God's promises to David. It was the place to worship. So, Ethan, I'm going to ask you to go to to 2 Samuel 7. Can you turn there real quick? Yep, absolutely. Or type there real quick? Type there. Because uh, this promise, this is known as the Davidic covenant, and this is very key to what we're going to be talking about, to understanding the importance of this temple. Let me know when you're there, sir. All right, I am here. I'm going to back up to verse 10 to kind of get a full sentence. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this is 2 Samuel 7, 10 through 16. Um I will also appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again, nor will the wicked afflict them any more as formerly. Even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and I will give them, I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. When your days are complete and you lie down with the fathers, I will rise up your descendants after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. When when he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever. Jeez, I can't read. Shall endure before me forever. Okay. A little bit rough, but I got through it. <laughs> That's it's fantastic. Because there's... turn up my font size a little bit. I can't see from here. <laughs> They say it's better for your eyesight. At least Hallmark Home and Family tells me that. So what is occurring here is fantastic because God is giving David a promise about his throne being established forever, his kingdom being established forever. Um, Not just his, but his sons, his descendants. We see this occurring through Solomon, but this is also for foretelling about the kingdom of Christ, who is the son of David, right? Yep, which you can read about in Matthew 1. There's the whole genealogy of Jesus from from David to Jesus. So if you have any questions about that, check it out. It's just all laid out there. Because it's all very pivotal to this. And and so um, prior to this temple being built, Ethan, where... Where did the uh, the worship take place for the Israelites? It was in the it was in the t- wherever the tabernacle was. Yeah, because I mean, it depends on what what era you're talking about. Mm-hmm. If you're talking about pre Solomon building the permanent temple, it was in a tent, which yeah. was like when you think well, tabernacle is a tent. Yeah. Um. So it was in a tent, and where wherever the Israelites would move, they would move this tent with them, and it would it would kind of be the central. It was like the central. It was like the central thing for Israel. Yeah, like the, the Ark of the Covenant was 
the thing for Israel, you know, like it was so pivotal to their life um, that it was, it was really the center of their culture, center of their, obviously their, their worship of God. And, and it was like center in their camp as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And they, they misunderstood it at, at some point. They just thought that like having the ark was their power and their arrogance, even though they weren't worshiping God, got the best of them. And, and you can read all about that in first Samuel. Uh, and at, at some point, the tabernacle came to rest in an area. Once Israel was established, once King Saul, King David came in, they established um, the permanency of Israel in the land, then that tabernacle didn't really move around. Right, right. Uh, so, but that was where it was. It was in a tent. And that's why God came to, to David, who was in his house, and he was saying, you know, uh, what about you know my house? So he tells David that he will build for him a house. So it's this temple is also known as a house. House. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm really bad at the Sunday school questions. <laughs> and um, and so, what does God say about um, about this particular house? Like, what is going to be in that house? His name. His name. Was, why is why is that so important? What's my, so important about a name of God? The, my so. name shall be there, right? Yeah. So, what is important about the name of God? It's like um, when Moses encountered the angel of the Lord in the burning bush. He says, "What name should I give the Israelites um, when they tell me?" And he's and God answers him, "I am that I am. I am the God of your father Abraham, Isaac, Jacob." Um, so this is this is the reputation of God, but this is also like a, a place where God's glory is going to dwell and where he will be known. So there's like there is power in the name of God. And it's not only it's not only when when in a biblical sense, the idea of knowing is a very multifaceted idea. Um like I, I encourage everyone out there to do a word study on knowledge or or knowing, because um, because that and its connection to for the foreknowledge of God, mm-hmm. um, those those words are not kind of the watered down understanding that we have in in our 2018 English. Like knowing where God is known, that is somewhere where God is understood. Where, where we can learn from God, where we can hear from God, where we can relate to God, where we can seek atonement, mm-hmm. like in, in, the mid, in, in the presence of God, like this, like God being known through the temple yeah. is something that's very significant. It's not just, oh, that's where he is. Yeah. Like to the Israelites, the, the God was so real that, that, if a if a if a priest went into the holy of holies at the wrong time, God would strike him dead. Yes, yes. Like and 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 th- this was so real for the Israelites. Like there, um, there was a story when uh, there was a story when the the Ark of the Covenant was being transported on a cart, uh-huh. um, and or it was it was either a cart or or the the men men were carrying it on poles. It started to slip, or like one of the one of the men stumbled. Yeah, and someone reached yeah. out and touched it, mm-hmm. touched the tabernacle, and they were struck dead instantly. Or they, sorry, they yeah. they struck the the ark. They touched the ark to stabilize it. Yeah, and they, yep, they just were struck dead just right there. And yeah. I'm like, dang, yeah, that would be so real if I was like, oh man, Uncle Morris, he just got <laughs> struck down, yeah, man. Yeah, and not to like keep going like on rabbit trails, but like the ark of the covenant when the Philistines took it, they put it in the temple of Dagon. And oh, yeah. overnight, when they came back in the next morning, the statue was toppled over. Like, it yep. was next to Dagon's statue, and that t- statue had toppled over. Well, yeah. they put it back up and went it about their business. over again. <laughs> yeah, they, they left for the night. They came back. This time, it had toppled over, and the head and the hands were cut off. And, uh, and there were various afflictions that occurred to the Philistines because they had the ark. And this was, there was, there is actual power here that we're talking about. This isn't just for show. Um, and so like God's name being in something is significant. It, God's name would be in the angel that went before Israel into the land of promise. And that angel would fight the battles for, uh, for Israel. And 
we find the, the commander of the army of the Lord encounter Joshua before Jericho, things like that. So God's name dwelling in the temple, just like uh, like it's said that it would, is so significant. And uh, earlier in 1 Kings 8, uh, Solomon's talking, he says, Now it was in the heart of David my father to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to David my father, Whereas it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the house, but your son who shall be born to you shall build the house for my name. Now the Lord has fulfilled his promise that he made. For I have risen in the place of David my father and sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised, and I have built the house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. And there I have provided a place for the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord that he made with our fathers when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. So very, very much about the name of the Lord. This is for the name of the Lord. More on this later. So, Ethan, this, uh, this temple... What happened here? Anything? Yeah, so what I was saying earlier, this the temple was kind of the central being being that it was where God dwelt, it was the central spiritual hub of all of Israel. Mm-hmm. And one of the most important things that occurred there was big fancy word mediation. Yes, mediation. Um so it was where the priests would offer sacrifices to God for the sins of the of the priests, of the people. Um, and of individuals in in Israel. Yes. So it was it was where ma- where men were made right with God. It was through, uh, through mediation, like the whole nation, even like oh yeah yeah there was so, uh, yeah go for it. So there was there was different kinds of of sacrifices. Um, so if if like the na- the whole nation sinned, there would be a certain type of sacrifice. If the priests sinned, there was a whole, there was a type of sacrifice, and and from from individual all the way up to group sins there were different types of sacrifices mm-hmm. so like all all of these sins had a special special um special mediation special propitiation which we'll kind of talk about later yeah um they had a they had a, a pr- protocol for each mm-hmm. and and this was administered by the priests um this mediation that you're talking about and and if you're listening and you're like okay what about prayer? We're getting there. You gotta, you gotta build the foundation before you can have a house. <laughs> That's right. So there are other instances, many instances throughout Scripture about mediators between God and mankind. Ethan, do you know other than like the high priests? Uh, can you name any? Well, what is a mediator? First of all, so um, a mediator is one who intervenes between two parties, either in order to make or restore peace or friendship. Um, it is a form of compact or a, a form of contract um, or for ratifying a covenant. Um, it is a medium of communication or an arbiter. So there's a lot of a lot of information there. So, so the different types or orbiter, arbiter sounds like something from, from a sci-fi novel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the orbiter, get to the orbiter now. Um, so priests, judges. And prophets were all different types of mediators, and so were apostles. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are priests would um, advocate on behalf of people. Judges would bring the word of God in, in like for the for the sake of either judgment or repentance. Prophets would be a mouthpiece of God, and apostles were were sent to do the work of God. So all of these all of these different roles in Scripture, both Old Covenant and New Covenant. They were different types of mediators as far as their roles are concerned. And individuals in spe- uh, specific, um, we have Abraham who interceded on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah as they as God came and met him under the trees in Mamre. And there's that whole exchange. Abraham was interceding as a mediator between God and man as a father of promise. Um, and then you also have Moses. Moses was a mediator between God and man as a servant to God, uh, in in some cases, like even speaking as if God was speaking Himself. I mean, the idea of like "Thus saith the Lord," right? Like "Theanustas" is is like the Greek. I, I believe it's the Greek Greek equivalent of that. It's it's these people were were speaking the literal words given to them by God, mm-hmm. um, and I mean, Paul did that obviously throughout his epistles. 
um, all throughout. I mean, that's what his epistles are. They're the words of God, the like the the disciples as well. It's it's a big responsibility to be a mediator. Um, and obviously, all of these people were sinful. You know, priests, yeah. judges, prophets, apostles. Like all of these were imperfect mediators, which is important to note. Yes, um, because a lot of a lot of times we we like to raise these these figures as something more than they are and they're they're really their role is actually to point to something greater right on that note like going back to the passage first kings chapter 8 solomon here is functioning as a mediator between god and man as he is dedicating this temple and in this case he's not a priest but he is functioning as a king and as a son of promise so this is the promised son to david um, he is the promised king that would build the house, and he built the house as a son, and so he's presiding over these proceedings with authority. He is, at this point in time, functioning as a type of a final mediator between us and God, Jesus Christ. Ethan, can you read uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7? Absolutely. Um, for for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a as a ransom for all. Can you hit the next one for me? Yep, uh, Hebrews nine fifteen. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Okay, so here we are in 1 Kings chapter 8, and we see this picture of Solomon as a mediator. But us as individuals function in a world that is in the new covenant where we have Jesus Christ as a mediator between God and man. And there are so many promises God gives us through Solomon's presiding over this dedication of the temple. But when you see him functioning as a type of Christ, then we have to start looking at Christ. So so let's let's look at this this idea. So um, how does Jesus talk about the temple? Because Jesus existed when the temple existed. So how does Jesus talk about the temple? Yeah, he talks about it in John 2.19. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. So here Jesus is talking about himself as a type of temple. Right. So that's really interesting when we, we'll, we'll dive into a little bit more here, but Christ was talking about himself as a temple. So if we go back, so that was John 2.19. If we go Earlier in John, in John 1.14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, now before you go on, you bolded the word dwelt on, uh, on this topic. Can you explain oh, yeah. just a little bit about why that, that is important? Train's coming, and we're gonna, just going to keep on, keep on trucking. Hi, train! Hi, train! So yeah, that's that's a dwelt. There is the is the operative word. So if we go back and, and think about the old covenant, the temple was in a temp- tabernacle, right? Um, and this word dwell in Greek. Let me try to pronounce it. Skanao, <laughs> skanao. I did the like the, on Blue Letter Bible. I did the pronunciation, and that's my best attempt. <laughs> um, the definition of this word dwelt means to fix one's tabernacle, to have one's tabernacle, to abide or live in a tabernacle or tent, tabernacle. So Um, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so, yep, there you go. Like Jesus, when he came to the earth, he like embodied this idea of God dwelling, tabernacling among us. And we saw his glory, Glory as as of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Man, so glory is also another word that we kind of skip over as Christians that's very important. Like it, it has a lot more weight and meaning than we think it does. When, oh, yeah. Like even in 1 Kings chapter 8, in, uh, in verse 10, this cloud that filled the house of the Lord, like this is the glory of the Lord filling the temple, the power and spirit of the Lord. And then... In uh, Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. Now we're going to get to this in a second. This is 
at the time of Jesus' crucifixion. This so, is like really, really key to this whole idea. So, so, but here, I'm going to have a little bit of fun. Do you mind? All right. I, okay, so uh, Ethan. Oh, I'll humor you. I'll humor you. <laughs> um, there was one verse I was really hoping you and Cody would be able to find and pick out when, when like Jesus is talking about the temple. Have you, I blame Cody since he didn't add. Have you had? He didn't have time to add anything. Any <laughs> any epiphanies? Has the spirit led you to this verse? No. Like okay. I, I looked. I I did so many Google searches. I did like verse Jesus house verse Jesus tabernacle verse Jesus this <laughs> verse Jesus that. So and I just didn't couldn't uh, find it. So the like the one thing that a lot of people like to talk about is Jesus turning over the the tables in the temple, right? And what does he say when he turns over the the money lenders' tables? Uh, you will not make my father's house into a house of mockers or a den of mockers. Uh, you have made my father's house into a den of thieves. Oh, den of thieves. Yep. There but go. he goes on. Ah, I feel like that. You know, like I I I read that several times <laughs> as I was going. Th- I really did, and it just didn't like jump out at me what's what's the reference again so uh this is in uh all three of the gospels and i think it's mark not is it mark 11 oh yeah mark 11 uh 15 through 19 do you want me to just read it real quick yeah sure 15 through 19 my font size is a little bit bigger here so hopefully i don't mess this up and they came to jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it is not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. They feared him because all the crowd crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. So... A house of prayer for all nations. My father's house will be a house of prayer for all nations. And I when like you just skimmed right over it, when you look at First uh, Kings chapter eight, the the dedication is all about what happens when someone prays towards the temple, towards the the place where the name of the Lord dwelt. And this is actually referring. Jesus is referring back to Isaiah uh, chapter fifty six. And in the ESV, it has a heading, Salvation for Foreigners. And I, uh, I won't read the whole thing, um, but I will get you to where Jesus is, is, uh, is quoting. And this starts in verse 6. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, name of the Lord, Lord, name of the Lord, just throwing that out there, buzzwords, should pique your interest. Uh, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord, God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. This was a huge deal. Yes. Um, So that reminds me back in uh, Genesis 17, uh, verse uh, 5 and 6. It says, um, No longer shall your name be Abraham, but your name... No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you a father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. So like this idea is that God is opening up his kingdom to all nations, Mm -hmm. which was very foreign. Like if if you are not like savvy with it and you're not, reading and paying attention to the Old Testament, you you miss it. And a lot of Jews really did, which is why the disciples were beheaded and 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 crucified and and drawn and quartered and, and all that. Right. Like they like this was at something that was hidden from a lot of people. So th- and and Paul even talks about that. Like it he talks about that in if I remember correctly, it's Ephesians three, 
like the mystery of the gospel revealed that it's intended it's intended for all nations jews and gentiles now, and this was prophesied back in all the way back in genesis 17 <laughs> you're really excited <laughs> oh yeah i'm really excited so, but we need to st- keep going about the temples now okay 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 so back john, on track back on track john chapter 4 we have this exchange between jesus and a samaritan woman uh, and Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So the temple, the location of the temple is now going to be obsolete. It doesn't matter whether there's a temple in Samaria or a temple in Jerusalem. Jesus is saying that there is something different going to happen, and that difference is going to be, it begins right now. People are going to worship God in spirit and in truth. Even Solomon recognizes this when he when he says, um, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built? Um, so he's, he's setting everybody up for this truth, this extra spiritual truth that they are going to be astounded by. Talking about the torn curtain in Matthew 27, can you go to Hebrews 10, 19 through 22, please? Yep. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the, bud of, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. At this point in time, everyone only knew that access to God was through the high priest, through the curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place, where the name of the Lord, the Lord of hosts, dwelt. And they only had access through a high priest. But now this is saying that we have what? Full access. Full access. Not just full access. Because if you had full access without having this assurance that you wouldn't be struck dead, you probably wouldn't take it. But it says you can now draw near in spirit and truth. Wait, did I? Uh, back in Hebrews. Uh, uh, sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Early on. Bodies. Uh, 19. Uh, uh, confidence. 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 We can draw near in confidence. That's... If I was in the old if if I was in the old covenant and I was one of those priests, I would not be going in there with confidence. I'd be like, uh, "Hopefully the calendar's not wrong, wrong going in on the wrong day." <laughs> right. That's a huge difference, guys. That is being able to approach God with confidence is a huge deal. And this is all because of Christ Jesus dying on the cross and resurrecting and ascending to this place where he is now the mediator of a new covenant. He is our access through his flesh. We have confidence uh, through the, the tearing of his flesh. We have confidence to have access to God, which in the temple was completely off limits. But yeah. when Jesus was crucified, that curtain was literally torn in two. So now, okay, so Here's a question for you, because the first temple was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 BC, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, those Babylonians. Then the second temple, that was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. So, Ethan, does God no longer have a place where his spirit dwells on earth? Is that what oh, that he means? Does. He uh, does. Oh, yeah? And one of, the th- one of the interesting things to add is, sorry, I just killed a spider that was hanging in front of my face. <laughs> um... The, the the temple that was that was destroyed in 70 AD, that wasn't an active temple even at that point because this curtain had been already split by the time that occurred. Christ yes. was crucified in roughly 33 to 40 AD, depending on who you talk to. So this <laughs> temple that was 
the, this temple that was destroyed by the Romans wasn't even it wasn't even spiritually a house of God at that point. Yeah, the like spirit it was and the our, power of God did not dwell there. Yeah, and, and one kind of scrolling back a little bit, one of the things to note, that's it, it's just a really cool visual picture. This curtain was giant. Yes. Like it was 40 feet tall, floor to ceiling. And I think it was like six inches thick or something like that. And it was torn from top to bottom. Yes. Which is crazy. Like mm-hmm. that doesn't happen. So God absolutely still has a place on earth where he can dwell. Where is that? That is the question. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. I hope you all are keeping up. I hope you're listening fast. Do you mind if I read something real quick? It, it kind of fits in with what we were talking about absolutely. earlier. It's um, it's uh, Hebrews 12, 22 through 24. Sure. Do you mind? All right, cool. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So here we have Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Now, the temple. Back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, here's David responding to God's promise. And he says, For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, has made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. So God is saying, I will build you a house. And in Psalm 127, chapter 1. Do you want me to get it? I got it. Go for it. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who built it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sheep. So, unless the Lord builds the what? The house. It's built in vain. So, here we have this promise from God that he's going to build David a house, and uh, and if the Lord builds a house, it won't be built in vain. This reminds me of, of how Christ tells people to build their house on the rock mm-hmm. instead of instead of the sandy ground. That's right. just kind of what I thought about when I, like building a house. Hmm, where did Christ talk about that? <laughs> oh, building a house on the sand. Yeah. So Ethan, I'm going to have you go to your wheelhouse because I know you've done an inductive study on Ephesians. Can you yes, hop sir. over to Ephesians chapter 2 and uh, give us uh, 8 through 10? This is a very famous verse um, for different reasons, but still applicable. All right, here we go. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I love this verse. Yeah. It is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Like mm-hmm. grace through faith, gift, not a result of works. Yes. But not our works. But what does it talk about a work that isn't in vain? What about us? Houses built by God. We are his workmanship created what? For good works. I'm getting this, getting this like um, <laughs> Sunday, uh, Sunday morning you know, like response thing. I'm trying to get it down. (laughs) (laughs) I apologize. Um, But we're created in Christ Christ Jesus. Jesus. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And uh, can you hop to your, your other references here? 19 through 22. Yes, 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 yes. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. What? What? Wait, say that again. (laughs) Built into a holy temple in the Lord. Uh, You want to finish that out? In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Oh. Oh, yeah. So not only are we his workmanship and created in Christ for good works, 
Um, but the whole structure of Christians, they're being joined together to grow into a holy temple in the Lord, a dwelling place for God uh, by the Spirit. So this leads us to another one of of Paul's writings. And so uh, wait a second. <laughs> Are you telling me that Christ, when he died on the cross, split the curtain? Are you telling me that the temple went from being a house of God physically on the earth to a house of God in us? Well, is sir. That, pray tell what you are talking about. That is a fantastic question. And may I answer your question with scripture? Please do. In second, it's, all, it's, it's the only thing that I accept. Second <laughs> Corinthians chapter six. Um, this is kind of a go-to for people who are giving dating advice, but let us, let us elucidate a little bit more. Uh, Verse 14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what part, what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So, <laughs> like, there are so many parallels now. Like, when it talks about us being the temple of the living God and God's name dwelling in us and the Spirit of God dwelling in us, like, this is so fundamental, so foundational to to how we think about all of this and this is remember remember what god said he said that um i will build a house for you yes can you do me a favor can you go to hebrews 3 and read verse 1 through 6 therefore holy brothers you who share in a heavenly calling consider jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. Indeed, we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Yeah. So we are God's house, and Christ is afforded more glory because God is the builder of this house, right? So you're starting to see the, the culmination, like this visual, this huge temple, which was glorious and beautiful. And yet God's purpose wasn't just to have a temple. God's purpose was for mankind to have that intimate association with God, that relationship with God that only a high priest really could facilitate and people would stand at a distance. But now God isn't just dwelling behind the curtain in the holiest of holies. The Spirit of Christ, which rose, Spirit of God, which rose Christ from the dead, now dwells in us who believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. So now, with that in mind, knowing that you are a Christian, you have the the Holy Spirit indwelling within you. How can we worship and pray now? Let me let me start this off, Ethan. Yes, was the temple that Solomon built worth? anything prior to the spirit of god filling it no i mean it was just a building yes you know it was just just kind of a, a husk it was beautiful right yeah it was beautiful it had golden i think it had like gold on the walls and yeah lamp stands and oh it was fantastic floral wallpaper i mean probably not that but probably lots of lots of ornate things but i mean at the end of the day to god that stuff isn't really worth anything it only became a valuable temple when the spirit of the living God dwelt there. The name well, yeah. of God dwelt there. Because originally it wasn't even a it wasn't even a building. It was just a tent. Right. Like it was a tent with with the Ark of the Covenant in it. You know? Like that was that was it. Like it was such a humble it was such a humble thing. There are many beautiful 
temples that have been made throughout history to gods, deities, so-called gods, so-called deities that are worthless because the spirit of the living God never dwelt there. Now, for you and I, prior to the spirit dwelling us, what state are we? We're, I mean, we're, we're nothing of value. And, and I'm, yeah. I'm not saying that as a, as a like condemnation of people because all people have value because they're all made in the image of God, but their actions, their state is the state of spiritual deadness. Right. Like they're, they're dry bones. Tombs. You know? Tombs, exactly. And I mean, Christ, Christ died for people while they were still in that state. Yes. But until they come to a knowledge of Christ, until they, they are made new, given new life, regenerated, as some people call it, they are just a tent. Right. They, they don't have the Spirit of God in them. And, uh, and so when we believe in Christ Jesus, that he is Lord, that God raised him from the dead, uh, and we are saved, and the Spirit regenerates us and fills us, then, then we have this new, new appreciation, this new ability to be able to worship and pray in, in a new way. What, what does Jesus tell us about asking God about things? Well, he says we can come to him in, in confidence. Yes. And in full assurance. And so prior to Christ, he said, you've asked nothing in my name, um, but he says, now ask in my name, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Um, in, a, in John 16, 24, he says, until now you have asked nothing in my name, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So, so Jesus talking about us asking in his name, well, well, why? Why is that important? Because Christ is our mediator. If, yes. if, we, don't, if we don't use our mediator, we don't have a way to get to God that makes us right. Mm-hmm. Like the reason why Christians are made right in the eyes of God is because of Christ. We are like the idea of imputed righteousness. The idea, the idea there is that Christ's perfection is put on us so -hmm. that we can then go in confidence to God because without that we are guilty and, and asking something in Christ's name is, is kind of a way of, of grabbing hold of Christ's perfection, honoring Christ's perfection and kind of, kind of saying like, Lord, look at me through the lens of Christ. Like that is, that is kind of how I've always thought of it. Yeah. If, um, but also the name, right? Right? So Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. And when he is confronted in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, they ask, who here is Jesus of Nazareth? And he says, I am. That's the ego I me. That is what Moses received when, uh, when uh, God was giving Moses the name to give the Israelites. This is I am. So, And then the... Uh- the Israelites knew what that meant. They that's they, they fell rocks over to stone him. Well, well, there's there was two instances where where Christ said that the instance you're talking about, and then when when um, Jesus said before Abraham was I am. After that, they picked up stones to throw him, and I was like, yeah, they get it. <laughs> so if if the temple of the Lord that Solomon built was the place where the name of God dwelt, and we are the workmanship of Christ that God built for his glory and for his namesake, then God's name dwells in us, the temple of God, where his spirit dwells. That's why we are known as little Christians, uh, little Christs, but you know, Christians, that's, we are known by the name. The name, there is no name in heaven or on earth by which anyone else can be saved except the name of Jesus Christ. Um, and so he is, like you said, our sole mediator, our sole intercessor. Can you read uh, John 14, 6 through 7? Do you mind? Yep. yep. Excuse my clacking. 
I have a mechanical keyboard, but it's not good for podcasting. <laughs> um, so uh, John fourteen sixty seven. Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have you would have known the Father also. For now you you do know him and have seen him. Yeah. So Jesus Christ. Ah, he is so awesome that that he would show us the Father through himself and that he would give us access, the way to the Father, the truth about the Father, the life that comes from the Father, and give us this name that is above every name now dwells within us by the power of the Holy Spirit. I just wanted to kind of reference one of our previous episodes we did an episode on the trinity way back when and if you guys have like if you guys um know know a lot of if you have a lot of mormon friends or a lot of jehovah's witness friends or muslim friends or anything like that like i recommend you guys go back and listen to our trinity episode Mm -hmm. we talk about the scriptural basis for the trinity and kind of debunk a lot of the the heresies and the myths surrounding it um so if if anything if we we ever say anything like like christ said if you if you've seen me you've seen the father um, like that, that's talking about Christ's deity ship, his, yeah. his God, his Godness. Um, so if you guys have any questions about that, I, I fully, I hundred percent recommend going back to the Trinity episode and listening through that. Continue. Looking back now that we have this information, we have this understanding that the glory of God fills us by the name of Christ, which dwells within us, that the spirit of God is there. And, and has sealed us uh, for the day of redemption because Christ is coming back. We go back to what Solomon talks about, the temple. And in chapter 8, he says, Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you have said, my name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers offers toward this place and listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place and listen in heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. Now, this doesn't mean that you pray to yourself. You pray to the Father. But we have Christ, the Spirit of Christ, dwelling within us now. And we have access to the Father with confidence. And we can go to the Lord in confidence. And when we pray, He hears. And His eyes are open and they see us day and night. And uh, when we pray, we have confidence that he will forgive. And there are so many, when you go back to 1 Kings chapter 8, do this. I encourage you, do this. Go back and read this chapter with this idea that, that there is something bigger going on here than just um, what, what you see, um, that this is setting the stage for something. Uh, but in verse 37, he gives this, and, uh, and this is where I'm going to end, Ethan. So if you have any closing thoughts, uh, you may gather them at this moment. But in verse 37, as he's praying, uh, he says, If there is famine in the land, if there is pestilence or blight or mildew or locust or caterpillar, if their enemy besieges them in the land at their gates, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man or by all your people Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart and stretching out his hands towards this house, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and render to each whose heart you know according to all his ways for you, on, you, you only know the hearts of all the children of mankind that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land that you gave to our fathers. Anything, anything that is on your heart, on your mind, that you're encountering, whatever that may be, an enemy who is in your land making war, 
and decimating your people. You can come to God the Father through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, which dwells in you. And you can have confidence that he will hear in heaven and forgive and act and render your request. I mean, this, this, he starts with something so simple. Uh, well, famine in the land, that's not simple, but mildew, locust, caterpillar. I mean, these are things that eat your crops, your livelihood, your, your life is at stake. Your life is in danger. Sickness is something that we can go to God and pray and power about and have confidence that he will hear, he will forgive, he will act, he will act. There are, there are so many people in this, this world who pray and they do not have confidence that God will act, but have confidence that God will act. And he will render your request. And as we have seen Jesus Christ, the mediator who intercedes on our behalf, we have confidence to go before God and obtain these things through prayer and through worship, through repentance. This is the power that God gives us through Jesus Christ, not by any works that we do on our own, but by his workmanship. Ethan, I'm going to pass the ball over to you. I don't I love what you're saying. I concur in all of that. So the two verses I wanted to wanted to close with are uh, Psalm 37, five through six. This has kind of been my my life verse. Um, to take a cliched uh, cl- cliched term uh, for the past several months, um, when I moved here, I was having a really tough time with my job. Just kind of things things didn't pan out as as I was expecting, um, as they do sometimes when you're when you're following the Lord. Um, and this was this was my verse. It says. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and give your justice as the noonday. I like that because it's instructing us to act in the way that we are to trust in him. And it, and it quickly follows up by saying that God will act as well. Yes. Um, that, is, that is encouraging to me. Like mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of Christians kind of go about their life doing a bunch of things and not really expecting God to act. Um, but if you have faith that God is real, as, as Christians do, you need to trust in him in a way that you expect him to act. Yes. Like our prayers should be, and we'll talk about this later as we dive more, more, more deeply into the use, um, the purpose, how, and how to pray. Um, but prayers should be given to the Lord in a full assurance that he will act on them because mm-hmm. that shows that we have faith in him. That shows we have faith in him. Um, so I also wanted to read Psalm 145, 18 through 20. It says, the Lord is near to all who call on him. To, to all who call on him in truth, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. Hmm. That like, that's kind of, that brings up a lot of feelings in me when I read that. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be in that last category. <laughs> like, I don't want to be in the, in, the, in the wicked that God will destroy. And I know I'm not because I'm saved and I know that, um, salvation is a is a gift of God that is never removed. Um, but call on the Lord in truth. You know, like call on Him, pray to Him with full assurance that He will act. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't do that, then you're not praying in faith. You're not praying in truth. Amen. Well, Ethan. Yes, Mister Dean. This has been a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a lot of fun. Do you need to like soak up some saliva off your microphone? Are you, are you, are you good over there? I'm okay. I'm are okay. sparks flying yet? <laughs> <laughs> but hey, uh, this has actually been kind of like a, an experiment on how uh, how we prepare this uh, these episodes and these outlines. It was it was a struggle for me because I was very vague, and I was trusting that the Lord would lead uh, Ethan and Cody in the in the same way that He led me, and and it actually ended up being awesome. Like seeing. Uh, Ethan flesh all these things out uh, in his own study as well. So uh, I hope I hope it was beneficial to you, sir. It was definitely beneficial. I enjoyed it a lot. I think we will have to do a part two. Ah, 
Ah, oui, yeah. Unoffi- maybe unofficially, because I think there is so much more to flesh out in, in the area of prayer. Like mm-hmm. I have, I was reading a, a John Calvin's chapter on prayer in his institutes, and it was talking about Daniel and Isaiah and David, how they prayed. And I would love, like, look, like, you guys should look forward to this. We, we want to do an episode where we kind of step through their prayers and, and kind of piece apart what they, what they do so well. So be looking forward to that. Be looking out for another follow-up to this. In the meantime... Hold the line. Hold the line. Thank you for listening to the Shield Wall Podcast. Our goal is to glorify Christ and strengthen the hearts of men. We've got more episodes on the way, so if you liked what you heard, subscribe and share. For more info and articles, visit our website, shieldwalldiscipleship.org. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search for Shield Wall Discipleship. Thanks again. And until next time, hold the line.